we since outgrew EA and now we stand for what we actually do, which is transformation, empowerment, advocacy and restoration. And you might say, Steve, why did you swap such a cumbersome and unwieldy acronym for another cumbersome and unwieldy acronym? Well, it wasn't my decision, but when you go to our projects, uh, probably about 180 projects that we've got, uh, in 24 countries, uh, what, that's what you see. We usually work with women. Uh, we don't work with blokes usually because primarily, first of all, because if you help blokes, they just help themselves. But if you help children, then that's great, but they are also part of families and they are part of communities. So if you can transform the women who are the most marginalised... Uh, then they support their kids and the guys look at what they're doing and go, oh, gee, that's good, I'm going to jump on, in on that. And that's what tends to happen and, tra- and communities are transformed. So uh, I want to key in, uh, I want to show you a slight project from uh, Nepal and then uh, I'll talk about, uh, there's two bits to tier. There's the organisational bit and there's uh, we're part of a, kingdom building movement so i'll talk a bit about that afterwards so thanks very much appreciate that have a look at this just five minutes worth krishna let me sangeet honey it's a lovely morning here in Chup. We're wandering through a village, uphill as always, to meet with a women's group. They'll be discussing issues that concern them in the village, collecting the savings that they do every month, and possibly discussing the loans that they'll give to members. Namaskar, namaskar. These community groups are a key way that share and care help influence change within the community. The group's members are able to pool resources, loans are given to various ventures, issues within the community can be discussed, and village-wide planning can be debated. Today, the group is discussing their desire to develop an immunisation centre for their children, and they are reviewing the financial status of the committee and its members. Sujita is one of Share and Care's field workers. For her, these groups are a way to love the community in an honest, dedicated setting. She's been working with this group for a little over five years. As part of establishing the group, local leaders are appointed from within the community. This ensures the group continues to function once share and care lead. One of these leaders is Osmita. In this VDC, we have a high level of illiteracy, so having an education is important. About five years ago, the Gangtu Women's Health Group was established in this area, and through this group, I was lucky enough to receive a scholarship to further my education. 
I'm now teaching at a local school, enjoyed very much. The children are like small plants, and it's up to us to nurture them. I love kids and hate seeing them not go to school. That's why I plan to teach for as long as I can. I have also been appointed as the secretary for the women's group, which has given me the opportunity to know people around me. While I'm sad to see Cher and Kay leave, I have learned a lot through this group. It's not only provided me with knowledge, but has helped me to develop my confidence. And for this, I'm very thankful. That was such an exciting meeting. It wasn't just that the women were able to talk about the amount of money that they've saved, the loans that they've taken from the cooperative, and what they've done with them. The thing that really encouraged me was the stuff that, that is more difficult to count, but is at the core of what we think is development. And that's the growth in their confidence, the way that they're able to introduce themselves and, and talk freely and, and openly. The development jargon word is empowerment, and seeing that happening in this group is a, a real sign of development, a change taking place. That's really exciting. I'm, I'm really encouraged. So I hope you get a sense of some of the work that we do. It's, look, it's, um, it's beautiful. It really is. It's something about there's one thing to help people, but it's another thing to help them help themselves. And if they get up on their own feet, if you, it's a bit like a chick in an egg. You feel sorry for the chick and you feel like you need to crack it open. Uh, but in doing so, you make it limp because it's got to learn to, to use its muscles. And the same goes for people in poverty. If they can learn to do it themselves and you can provide the environment and support them to support themselves, then uh, they can... They, whether it's domestic violence or poverty, that it's a small barrier. They can overcome it because they've got dignity of spirit. The other interesting thing is that uh, because we've been working in Nepal for over 40 years, uh, now Nepal is the fastest growing church in the world. And the people that I've spoken to, who are head of um, INF and UMN, big, significant people who have been there for a long time, They've said the, the significant reason why churches are growing is because we've shown them God's love in action. And now they're coming to faith in Jesus because we've been there for so long. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's, a, it's a, easy to do the quick bait and switch, uh, but it's harder to love people uh, over the long term. How do we respond? Very quickly, uh, obviously you can pray uh, you can pray that God wants his kingdom to come more than we do and we have materials out there that can help you pray it through. You can give regularly uh, and uh, these are some brochures that you might, if you're not already committed to any organisation. We also have these useful gift catalogues and this is a way to live simply so that others may simply live. Um, you can get something for Christmas for your friends and family um, for those of you that don't know um, about it, it's, it's a really good way, but it is hard to get your head around. So one of my friends, I gave him a $70 toilet uh, for his birthday. He said, thanks for the toilet, where is it? I said, well, you don't get it. He said, I get it, it's coming in the mail. I said, no. He said, I get it, there's money in the envelope and I didn't see it. I said, no. 
He said, well, how does it work? I said, well, I remembered you and your birthday. And instead of giving you something, I gave money to tears so that they could build a toilet for people in Nepal so they don't get diseases and die. He said, so I get nothing. I said, well, you get a card with a picture of a toilet on it. He said, oh, thanks. I said, some people get it, some people don't. He didn't. Uh, but it's still worth doing. So <laughs> so there you go. I'm, actually, by the way, I told this story to a Chinese congregation and then they said, why didn't you tell a good story? I said, a successful story. Well, then it wouldn't be funny. Uh, and then he said, well, it wasn't funny. <laughs> anyway, so if you don't understand it, don't worry. Um, so it's important to pray, it's important to give, it's important to live simply. We also encourage people to advocate and stand up for those who cannot speak for themselves and uh, talk to your government, your local politician, uh, and also grow in your relationship with God and, and knowledge of things. So, And we have resources to help you do that. One of my hopes is that we can get uh, tier groups in almost every church in Perth. This is the ideal. Uh, not just... Yeah, groups that are willing to act and do something not not just locally and also advocate for uh, on behalf of the poor and I uh, want one in each electorate uh, so that we can then really try and make a difference if you're interested in how that works come and see me later look let's hit the Bible uh, not literally um, Philippians 2 is my text uh, 5 to 11. Uh, you probably know this. It's very familiar. Uh, and I've called this Grace and Poverty Trumps Power and Wealth. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 10. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Could I uh, get the PowerPoint up? That'd be great. So grace is revolutionary. The poor are very important for us to understand God's transforming power of grace. That will one day, his kingdom will take over the world and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of God. And every decision that is made in government, in health, in all, in business, in every sector of the universe, will be made particularly to benefit the least, the last and the lost. And partnering with the poor stands over and against this world's way of power and domination, war and accumulation of wealth. Christmas reminds us of this. And if you read in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This is an incredibly political statement because Caesar was called the Son of God and he, when he came into a town and took over, he would kill the zealots and kill 
the revolutionaries and those that were against him. And then he'd set up a statue uh, to himself, or of himself, and send messengers out to proclaim the good news of the reign of Caesar, the son of God, and the rule of peace of Rome. Here's Jesus coming and saying something completely different, very confronting. But God became flesh, and that's an amazing thing. No other religion or philosophy comes even close to this, that the God of the universe would become part of his creation, reduce himself to being an incredibly vulnerable baby in a cattle trough who probably wet his pants and or his nappy. And I can just imagine the wise men going, you know, coochie, coochie, coo, who is this baby? This is a beautiful baby. And Mary says, this is God. God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all... What's the other one? All-knowing, everywhere, every, everywhere God. That's God. It's an amazing thing. And that he would be friends with those who are outcasts and sinners. And not only that, but he was brutally killed by his creation and uh, died to become friends with us. I mean, it's literally bloody amazing, isn't it? That Bono from U2 said, I believe in karma... Because it's an, you know, that you get what you deserve. Where he said, but I'm hanging out for grace. Because grace is you get what you don't deserve. And every other religion and system and philosophy is about merit. It's a meritocracy. If you're good enough, if you pray enough, if you do the right things, then. But grace is actually revolutionary. I remember as a young man... Uh, babysitting, uh, you may know these guys, so I've got to be careful, but it's Graham Mabry's twin boys. They're probably men now, but uh, they were babies. They were the kids at one stage, and one of them had a blanket, and it was dirty and smelly and filthy, and I wanted to take it off him and wash it, but uh, he wouldn't let me. And then I'm borrowing this from somebody else, the interpretation, but that happened. Uh, so my, the interpretation is, I, and it occurred to me that the guy didn't love the blanket because the blanket was beautiful, but because he loved it, the blanket was beautiful. In the same way God loves us. We're not particularly brilliant, uh, beautiful or fantastic at times, uh, but God loves us in spite of that. I play this game with young people, and if you here, you might have, played it with me if you came to sailing camp or whatever but i love it because grace sacrifices love for power and sociologists tell us that uh, there is an inverse relationship between power by power i mean coercive power uh, i want to clarify that uh, the, there's a difference between power and love so the more love you have the less power you have coercive power and vice versa uh I love this game because uh, the deal is that I break the groups up into four and I give them a red card and a blue card and I give them the scores and I say, now the trick is, the aim of the game is to win as much as you can. The problem there is everyone sees it as a competitive game but if every, we play ten rounds and if everyone put up the blue all the time then everyone would win, is it 4,000? 
$4,000 or 4,000 points, right? But instead, people act competitively. And the problem there, I don't know if you can see that, but in order for red to win, blue needs to sacrifice. Blue needs to... And I say to the kids, what do you believe... Uh, what does red stand for? And they say greed, mistrust, competition, you know, power. Uh, so what does blue stand for? Well, blue stands for uh, trust, vulnerability, love, hope, you know, all these things. And uh, as the game plays, it's interesting, in about round four or five, I say, okay, now you can send a representative to everyone else and get them to put up a particular type of card. And everyone sends a representative, put up blue, put up blue. Everyone says, yeah, yeah, we'll put up blue. And I say, on your mask, it said, go. Everyone puts up red. <laughs> and uh, it's like they we tried to suck them in and uh, everyone loses when everyone competes. So uh, I hope you get, understand that game. Even if you don't, it doesn't matter. The point is <laughs> that Jesus... N- doesn't play the red card and to be a christian means to play the blue card in every circumstance jesus didn't grasp for power he didn't uh, force his will upon you he said if i be lifted up i'll draw all people to myself it's a big difference between drawing people to yourself versus making other people like you or making people to do what you want them to do uh, the President of the United States has power. He can make you, if he points guns and tanks and he wages war against you, you're pretty, it's pretty hard to say no, right? You can, but it's pretty hard. Uh, whereas Mother Teresa, she's dead, but when she was alive, she didn't have power. She had something called authority. Authority is voluntarily given to you because you love and sacrifice and serve. And the same is true with Jesus. That's what they said about Jesus, that he had authority. He gave up everything uh, to be born in a cattle shed uh, while Herod was trying to figure out how big he was by taking a census. I remember going to a communion service and the first, this was a very powerful communion service. They, uh, interdenominational thing, they'd taken out the front seats uh, pews and the whole front of the church was full of dirty rink stinking filthy rubbish they'd gotten green bins and chucked them down the front of the church it stunk in the middle was an altar and uh, you had to wait to get to the bread and to the wine you had to wade yourself through this stinking rubbish to partake of the of the emblems of god's grace And that's exactly what Jesus did. He plunged himself into our rubbish. And uh, and that, yeah. It's an interesting thing. To play the blue in every circumstance is actually really hard and gutsy. Because there's a natural tendency for birds of a feather to flock together. At the end of this service, you're going to make a beeline for your friends. But who's going to get left out? Who's... Are most marginalised. You know, God loves everyone equally, but he loves those who get left out especially. 
uh, I spoke to my friend who's approaching 60 and he said, Steve, in my church I'm invisible. You know, I'm not worth talking to. And I thought that was sad. Here's a couple of stories that illustrate something of this uh, and then we'll move on. So uh, there's a group in Afghanistan that we tier support called IAM. International Assistance Mission, but it also means I am, which uh, works with the Muslims. So anyway, uh, we support these guys, and there was one time where a bomb went off, and uh, there was a Muslim elder. He was just happened to be up on a hill uh, walking, and he saw the bomb go off, and he saw all his friends and family run away from the bomb, and all the IAM staff run towards and do triage and help the victims and pull out, remove rubble and pull people out. And he thought, why are Christians the only people running towards the chaos and the mess? And he became a Christian and he started uh, an organisation that we now support in the north of Afghanistan. So that's a beautiful story. doesn't happen very often. But uh, it's still important to play the blue. I have had a friend... Uh, called Richard, um, doesn't come up here, but he's, I had a picture of him. He's an indigenous man, he's uh, passed on now, but he, uh, I spent 10 years as a friend with Richard and uh, Richard uh, was a stolen generation guy, he had blue eyes so they adopted him out and he went to the Channel Islands, an English couple took him to the Channel Islands and he couldn't figure out why uh, he was... Indigenous, why he was black when everybody else was white. And so they opened an encyclopedia and showed him a picture of an Aboriginal from Australia. And he, they said, you're from... And he, well, this is when he was five. He continually got beaten up. He could, he's the only Aboriginal I know who could speak fluent French. Anyway, he, he went to the French Foreign Legion and he became, came out of that and became a hitman and his whole family disowned him. So then he came to Australia because he got put in prison and uh, his family disowned him. So then he came to Australia to find his real family, uh, his blood family. Uh, they, someone said, you look like a Yamaji. So he went up to Geraldton and tried to find his family, uh, had a bottle of wine that he was going to give to them, but while he was waiting he drank it because <laughs> he was so nervous. Anyway, uh, Richard, uh, they celebrated with Richard, but then they found out that uh, he found out that he was a product of his uncle raping his mother so there was all shame connected to him and his family so then he spent uh, years on alcohol and drugs and cutting himself up until I found him in Lockridge and uh, we supported him I've got uh, something of a of a letter that he wrote to me and I want to read this out uh, something of it anyway uh, it's too long but it's pretty powerful I guess I'm a soldier in many forms I've fought battles but I've not won the war All I ask of God is for peace, and my violent days are now over. I ask the Lord for forgiveness for my poor lifestyle. That night, December the 19th, on a Friday night at Uncle Alan's, I made a pledge and threw down my negativity, my chain, my knife, my syringe, and I so badly wanted the Lord's Spirit to come and live a life with meaning and purpose. Once again, Steve, I find myself homeless and in an institution, and I want out for good. And it goes on. But uh, it's very important. Now, one, of the, one of the things uh, is I used to take 
Richard on whenever I had to speak and he'd share his story uh, about how he knew me and I'd share my story. And he said, oh, I sometimes get angry with Steve and I said, oh, I sometimes get angry with Richard. But the beauty is that, um, and I guess both of us were trying to show love to each other and we became really good friends. Anyway, uh, how can you show, uh, give up power for love? The interesting thing is the poor actually understand God's grace. Someone once said to me, the poor actually believe in God, uh, but the rich use other people's poverty as an excuse not to believe in God. I thought, oh, gee, that's powerful. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are the zeros, the divorced, the lonely, the sick, the prisoners, for God is with you and God is on your side. Blessed are the indigenous, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the asylum seeker, the suffering. Blessed are the losers because God is for you and with you. And everyone who is chooses to be on the side of the poor and marginalised, God is with you. But those people who say, the poor don't deserve my help, uh, or I don't need uh, anyone else's help, I need to earn my help. Uh, keep and my reward they are offside with the god of grace and the message uh, of love and grace and as i minister and partner with the poor the interesting thing is i understand that i am lonely and broken and sinful and and need god's grace too that's part of the reason why i've been doing this stuff for so long I was challenged when I met, oh, there you go, there's Richard. <laughs> uh, but I met the Darding family, and they are the one, one of the most uh, poorest groups of people that I met. Uh, not only were they abysmally uh, poor, but they were also despised. They had HIV, and even the people around them uh, shunned them, and they were alone. And when there's loneliness, it stings. Uh, it hurts. Uh, they were down the uh, down the bottom end of a river. So all the poor that were uh, using the river as the toilet, but also using the 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 river as a source of water, and they were the same. But they were down the end, so they got everyone else's rubbish. Um, and uh, I said, how they were trying to make beads to try to get an income the quality of beads wasn't very good because they couldn't afford the good quality stuff uh, to make it. So I said, well, "What? where's your hope? And they said, the only hope we have is the Lord. And I thought, mm, I, I get that. I understand that. The interesting thing is, uh, I was always taught, see, I believe the kingdom comes in the mix. And I'll explain that. I was called by God from Isaiah 58 when I was a young man and it said, And you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which you dwell. And I looked at the world, I looked at the church. I remember going out to Girawin, Kandula, Balga and working in the, in the inner city till 2 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday night. And it was a different world. And then I came to church at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning at, at Bedford Baptist Church where I grew up. And I thought, this is... This is crazy. 
none, none of the kids on the streets would ever come to a church and usually none of the people in the church would ever go to the streets. And the, but the interesting thing is that when I've seen that bridge happen, transformation happens to both parties. The people on the streets get to know a God of grace and love in a community of faith and love and they are transformed and the community of faith uh, get to know people just like Jesus on the streets and people who are broken. And I've seen that happen and it's transformative on both regards. Uh, A couple of stories and I'll begin to wind up. So I run this camp called Amuck among the urban community and I take young people from the church onto the streets. So the interesting thing was one day Tyson, and I'll use his real name because I've asked, he's, he's given me permission. He's, he was from Mount Pleasant uh, and uh, he's a nice clean chap. He's never really connected with people that were poor and broken. And I had one of my friends who was named Rob who had, uh, was a victim of uh, fetal alcohol syndrome. He didn't have any fingers. Anyway, one of the first things we do is we wash each other's feet at a muck. And Tyson was, uh, Rob washed the feet of Tyson. But the interesting thing was they both cry, were crying at the same time. I thought, God's doing something. What's God doing? So I talked to Tyson afterwards. I said, what was God, he started to cry. What was happening there? He said, well, Steve, I felt like Peter. Uh, he said, I don't want my feet, feet washed, Jesus. But Jesus came to me as a, like a leper and said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Uh, he said, well, okay, f- fair enough. So he uh, said yes. And he felt like, well, God was challenging him to get to know people just like Rob, who were, in a sense, Jesus. Anyway, I said to Rob, Rob, what was going on for you? He said, I don't know the Bible very well. He said, but wasn't there a woman who washed Jesus' feet? And Jesus said, your sins that are many have been forgiven. I said, that's right. He said, well, I felt like Jesus was saying that. I, he said, I've done lots of bad things. I lived a homeless life, lived a life on drugs because I haven't felt good about myself. But Jesus was saying, I forgive you. I thought, that illustration, Tyson, that God couldn't have worked through Tyson without Rob and vice versa. We need each other. Robbie and Dave. Robbie is a bloke in my community with a severe mental illness. He's and no one could be uh, Robbie's carer because uh, he'd burnt everyone that uh, tried to care for him. So they, he was in uh, Greylands and he was on his way to Blocked Ward and they were just going to wash their hands of Robbie. Uh, but uh, Dave was one of the blokes that we accommodated in Lockridge and he uh, had an alcohol issue. And one night when he was tipsy, I said, Dave, really, what do you want to do with your life? He said, oh, I'd really love to be a carer. I said, Dave, would you be willing to be Robbie's carer? He goes, I can't. I've got a charge against my name about five years ago. So we talked to the the powers that be and we did a little deal and we put him on probation. They put him on probation. And that relationship has been going strong ever since. Anyway, one night uh, we were at blokes group and Robbie says to Dave, Dave, you've saved my life. Without you, I'd probably be dead or in locked ward in Greylands. Uh, so thank you. Dave says, well, Robbie, you've saved my life. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a job. I'd be drinking myself stupid. I've found God through you. Robbie gives Dave a great big hug and a kiss on the forehead, and he says, and all you guys, without you, I don't know where I'd be, and does the same thing. There's something that happens in the mix. 
And Jesus said something about that. He said, there was once a woman, he tells the parable, a woman who got some leaven and stuck it in some dough and made bread. The interesting thing is, when I was a kid, I thought that I was the leaven and other people out there were the dough. And my job was to make them like me, like Christian. But that's not what Jesus said. (coughs) Pardon me. When I go into my community, I'm smashed into my community. I change just as much as they change. And God's kingdom happens in the mix, in the hot dynamic mix. So we need to partner with the poor. And... Uh, we have those five responses and they fit into uh, Micah 6 verse 8. So um, have a think about that. Lastly, uh, grace trumps power. Grasping firmly to God's grace and acknowledging our brokenness, we urgently need to take this to the neediest places, to the amongst the poorest people, both locally and globally. Live with them, love them. And listen to them and advocate for them. Stand up for justice on their behalf. Once that happens, we can. We're, it's like we're planting mustard seeds of God's kingdom. And it supplants the kingdoms of this world. It's a different and salty way of living. And when people, uh, if they eat lots of salted uh, chips, they become really thirsty. So our job is to make people thirsty for the real thing. The real thing is Jesus. So, yeah, look, I was, lastly, I was in Nepal, uh, at the back of a, a place that's it's got a bad name. It's called Nepal Gunj. Terrible sort of place because uh, it's really low-lying land. So when it floods... Uh, you know, if you dug a toilet, it just comes up, effluent comes up, and people die of diseases. It's the land that nobody else wants. And uh, Indians come across the border, rape, pillage, murder, and steal. So, and there's a very poor people live there. Uh, so I was with this group of people and with these women who are working to create self-help groups in amongst that. And I said, look, how is it that you've given up your family live in Kathmandu or Pokhara and you've and you're doing this work for six months of the year well, what inspires you to do this and they said well Jesus died for me so what what should my response be it's a pleasure serving him in the most neediest parts of this country and I felt quite rebuked uh, for even asking the question C.T. Studd said, If Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've given us a life, this gift. Not only have you given us our lives, but you've given us the gift of your son. You sent him to earth, and it was yourself, and you took on sin and died to be friends with us lord i pray that you would help us to understand this grace to marinate in it in the very to the very core of our being so that then we can be filled up and and serve and love and give that grace that's incredibly powerful and revolutionary to to the lost the last and the least
here and overseas. And Lord, uh, help us to do that and figure out how to do that in community uh, so that we can get to the end of our lives and say, it is finished. We've done all that we can for your glory's sake. Help us not to have regret when we get to the end of our lives, uh, that we lent our ladder against the wrong wall, of whether it's climbing the, the ladder of success. Help us to feel like we've done all that we can for your name's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen.